Welcome back to the Read Connected podcast. Today we're going to dive deep into one of the many different aspects of the field of psychology that maybe is a lesser known area of expertise, but really has to do with performance, motivation, and diving deep down into the trenches to talk a little bit more today about what is sports psychology. Now, today I'm joined with my brother, Dr. Gerald Reed, who, among other things, is a sports psychologist. And I'm looking forward to you sharing with our audience today about, you know, what is this all about? Some people might have heard of a famous athlete that they followed who have recently talked about getting some kind of sports psychologist assistance or guidance in their work or a team that might have a sports psychologist on staff. Or if you've watched Ted Lasso and there's a sports psychologist in that show working with the soccer team. Tell us a little bit about what your overview or elevator pitch would be on what sports psychology is. Yeah, in a nutshell, sports psychology really is about understanding the mental aspects that goes into performance. And that can include athletics, it can include other performing arts, it can include work. You know, all work really has a performance component to it. And there's a mentality that could either enhance or impede one's performance. And that's what the field is about. And on the other hand, we also want to look at the overall experience that a person has in their sport or their overall experience with whatever they're performing because people are human and we want to make sure that they're not, you know, driving themselves to get burnt out in the pursuit of excellence, but they're actually really allowing themselves to have a fulfilling experience while they're also performing well. It's kind of what I've loved so much about this day and age where we have access to so many documentaries and shows about different individuals who have been in the public eye for a long time. I'm thinking, you know, of course, of Jeter's documentary or Tom Brady's documentary or different aspects of these high-performing athletes that we've always wondered, like, how do they do it all, <laughs> right? And how do they find and strike that balance between taking care of themselves, their own well-being, their relationships, while also working at such a really high level from a physical and athletic perspective. So I, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about sports psychology for those who maybe don't know anything about it. Yeah, well, first of all, the field has been around for a long time. There's been many people who have really pushed the field forward for many years. There's been sort of a stigma attached to working with a sports psychologist or a sports psychology consultant. And that has really opened up over time, which is a very good thing. And, you know, there's many books that have been out there for, for a very long time. And these are really seminal books that you may be familiar with. People like Ken Revisa, Bob Rotella, Terry Orlick, uh, Mihai Checks Mihai about the idea of flow. And so there's a lot out there that's been written up on the field. And some people have really utilized these resources of books. And But there's also the consultation part. And so for a sports psychologist or a sports psychology consultant, the work really is meeting with an athlete and getting to know them, getting to know what's going on in their head, in their feelings, their thoughts, their beliefs, you know, really everything that goes on that's not really talked about with coaches. You never really hear athletes go up to their coaches and say, hey, coach, you know, I'm extremely anxious when I get on the foul line. What should I do? You know, an athlete's not going to admit that to their coach because they're going to be afraid that the coach is just going to bench them or judge them or, you know, lose trust in them, which could turn into a kind of a spiral. So it's a very good thing to have someone private that you can kind of talk to and, and open up and, and talk openly in, in consultation. 
Uh, it's so important. And, you know, it's like we say all the time, emotions play such a strong role in pretty much everything we do in life, from learning to relationships to performance in any aspect of your life, whether you're performing on a test as a student or a learner, or like you said, you're on the foul line in the middle of a playoff game or just a, a regular season game, just trying to keep the momentum going for yourself and your team. You know, there's so much that goes into this. And when we show up for anything that we do, we want to try to put our best foot forward. But sometimes, you know, you might be having a bad day or you might have had even bad sleep or maybe you are feeling a little more nervous or anxious in a moment than normal. That Like, how do you get through that? And I think that's probably the tricky part. In my work with learners, I often hear them say, you know, I think I'm just supposed to be able to do this. I've been so bright and so successful in the past. I'm supposed to do well. I should do well. And I joke that they should all over themselves, right? They're like, oh, I should, 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 versus really analyzing and, and reflecting on what's possible instead of just getting stuck in this all or nothing mindset, which I can imagine a lot of athletes, especially those you work with, might fall into that trap, especially when they're super high performing. Do you want to share a little bit? I know you can't talk specifically about those you work with, but maybe broadly about some of the types of athletes that you worked with, maybe some of those experiences you've had with them. Well, the first thing that I really want to help the athlete to realize is that you're human and to be human is to have thoughts and feelings. And whether you're an athlete or not, you're human. You know, as much as we want to give athletes these nicknames that make them seem inhuman, like Calvin Johnson, he was called Megatron, right? You know, that guy's human. He was an excellent football player. You know, he's unbelievable at his craft, but he's human and we all are. And so it's really important that athletes don't lose sight of that, that they are human, that it's okay to talk about these things, about what's going through their head. Because if you don't, you know, you're really going to put on a show, you're going to put on a front and that's not going to do anyone good, any good because, you know, the more you pretend like everything's fine or that, you know, you don't have to you know, admit to things. That's, you know, the beginning of the end, really, from what I've seen. It's so fascinating because a lot of the younger clients that I work with who sometimes are phenomenal at their craft, whether it's sport or music or art or some other creative expression that they're really, really talented at. Some might say they have these extraordinary gifts, which oftentimes they do. To be able to be that talented, especially at a young age, sometimes they kind of just ride on their talents and their gifts. And I talk about this a lot with people actually in the sports field because it's interesting living in this day and age where we see a lot of the end goal of how people become successful, whether it's on YouTube or you see a young athlete coming out of high school, going right into the pros we know as adults that that's few and far between where we see an individual succeed at that level. But a lot of young people, they might think that that's the way things just happen. Do you work with any youth athletes who are on that path of exploring their potential and their expertise and kind of grappling with this, I have to be the best or I am just the best or I know I need to practice, but I don't want to kind of mentality. Like, how do you tease all of that apart? It's so complicated. And it's, I imagine, really difficult to think about this raw talent that comes along with seeing these immediate end results of being just hugely successful without really looking at that process of how much dedication, how much self-discipline, how much work and mental endurance it took to be able to become that good <laughs> or perform at that level. 
Yeah, I'm certainly not the first to to point this out that in the media you're going to see all the highlights and that's what people are gravitating towards. That's where people get their instant gratification. Oh, I want to see the highlight. I want to see, you know, the best play that this person ever made in their entire career and all that stuff. I'm not going to lie, that's usually where I get my sports is mostly at the highlights because I don't have enough time lately to watch as much sports as I love, so I get it. And it's not often reality. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and so it kind of creates a false expectation of how that happened. And as you put, we don't really see the process. We don't see that athlete, you know, getting to practice early, leaving practice late, listening to their coach or having conversations with their coach or studying film or everything that goes into it. It is such a process. And, you know, for those who have gone through it, you can really understand how much goes into it. If you've never been through it, you really don't know. You don't know what it really takes because you just don't see it. You don't learn about it. And a lot of times in life, you have to go through experiences and learn what you know and you don't know from experience. And sometimes you have to learn the hard way. You know, you can't necessarily just, you know, ride on your talent because everybody's going to reach a plateau at some point. There's always someone better than you at any point in time. And you always got to prepare for that, you know. And so people are going to hit that plateau at some point. You know, I know this episode's about sports psychology today, but I can't help myself because I literally was in the coffee shop this morning and overheard a conversation of of two, I think they were just recently graduated from college performers, like literally right next to me waiting online to order our coffee. And they were talking about how when they were really young, they had these gifts and talents that just kind of emerged and they were like, oh yeah, I'm great. And their parents were encouraging them to take more specific targeted lessons and join these programs. And they're like, I don't need those. Do you see how good I am? <laughs> and it was so interesting because it's a very common theme in what I hear from a lot of really talented individuals I work with. And I can't help but think about the executive function perspective that their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed to even imagine that there's more to what just comes naturally for them. And it was interesting to hear their story as I was waiting in a very long line um, <laughs> where they were talking about how they got older, they realized the value of being patient and really developing their skill and putting in the work and how now in their 20s, I think that's what they were, um, they were talking about how they really valued the mentors that they worked with. They valued the teachers, even if they didn't initially jive with them originally to be able to gain a different perspective on their craft that ultimately shaped what and how they did things. And it was so fascinating fascinating to hear their story. And it's very similar to stories I hear, and I'm sure you do too, that sometimes when you know your brain's not fully developed, you might be a little impulsive and you might have a little bit of a extra swagger <laughs> that maybe is okay, maybe is accurate. And, and maybe we could, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and do a little assessment and analysis. And I imagine that might be part of your work too, especially with younger athletes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're kind of pointing out this nuance to sports psychology and to athletics that, you know, you can never really just say one thing like, oh, this one thing is going to make everything better. This one thing's going to get in the way of everything. And you pointed out someone could have swagger and confidence in themselves. And that could be actually a very good thing. Confidence is a pretty good predictor of performance. You certainly don't want to doubt yourself when you're shooting a free throw. That's oh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And having confidence certainly is a big factor that helps. At the same time, you know, there's nuance to this. And that's why having conversations with the athletes really helps to figure out that nuance. And at what time does maybe the person get overconfident or 
uh, underconfident or, you know, you talked about practice. I was watching a documentary about Wayne Gretzky and he was talking about how when he was growing up, he was on a hockey team that was very free flowing. There was not too much rigid structure around the way that they were being coached. So they weren't necessarily kind of robotic in their movements and their in their strategy and so forth. They kind of had a little bit openness, which allowed him to play creatively. And he made this interesting point that he said another team was much more robotic in how they were executing and so forth. And he actually made a point. This is his anecdote, you know, take it for what it's worth. He said players on that team didn't make it too far, but players on his team where there was that creativity and that openness, they actually made it much farther. And so that really speaks to the fact that there's there's a lot of nuance that comes to who's going to you know make it further in their sport or not. Yeah, sometimes it's just opportunity too. Some people may not get the type of coaching that other people get, and that could just be you know opportunity that's there or not there for the person. So there's so much fluidity when it comes to this stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm just there to work with the person I meet with. I want to meet them where they're at. You know, I got to understand where they're coming from, their context, their relationships, their opportunities, and and try to just figure out a way to make the best out of what they have in terms of their performance and their experience. Yeah, it's so interesting. And and just from a learning perspective, thinking about that creative flow opportunity versus the rigidity. And I think the nuance is that it, it needs to be balanced, right? It can't be too far in one direction or another. I, I could imagine, right? And I've watched that documentary too, that Wayne Gretzky came to the ice with a certain set of skills that he had already developed or that he naturally had. And those had to be developed for him in that way. And that creativity and free flow allowed for him to figure out different maneuvers that maybe others hadn't. And I think I think that's the real true balance. And I see this play out so many times in learning environments too. And I would say a field, an ice rink, you know, court, like those are all learning environments where we're learning how to build our skills, build our craft to find these unique points of flow where we could perform at a certain level in a certain way. So, you know, I, I think it's so interesting and I hear and see so many youth athletes and, and young people going to a lot of these performance enhancing programs, right? Whether they're doing, you know, drills or different leagues that they're participating in. And I think that the amount of practice is really helpful, but I think that each individual, like you said, might have a different experience. So I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your process in the sports psychology world, because I know that there's also different levels of sports psychologists and different kinds of training. And I wonder if you could just, you know, share with the audience a little bit about what you know about the differences and how they might be helpful for athletes. And then also a little bit about maybe your training would be helpful too to share. Mm-hmm. Well, early on in my life, um, after high school, I did some coaching in basketball and tennis for just a few years, got my feet wet with it. And I really started to learn that there is this field of sports psychology that I, I never knew about. You know, I actually wish I had someone like myself when I was growing up, that would have been helpful to me. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, learning about it, and I ended up getting a graduate degree through Boston University. And so there is sort of two tracks in terms of the field to become a consultant or a clinician in the field of sports psychology. And so the one track is to become a sports psychology consultant. And a consultant focuses primarily on the overall performance enhancement in terms of mental skills training. And so some of those mental skills training include things like goal settings, where you kind of sit down with the athlete and step by step try to formulate real specific, concrete 
time-bound goals that they can work towards that gives some mental structure to what they're doing, enhances motivation, gives them more clarity, uh, which is very useful. Other skills could be visualization, where they sort of create a visualization script of certain scenarios that they may be in. So this is very useful for athletes that are going to be in high-pressure situations where they can really kind of imagine themselves executing a skill uh, without their conscious thought, but really kind of with that other part of your brain that's really visualizing and enacting it as a form of mental preparation for high-stakes moments. Other skills could be learning things like mindfulness and, and stuff like that. So these are mental skills training, and that's a sports psychology consultant. Now, they may also talk about your overall experience and kind of how you can make more positive you know, emotions out of your experience as well. On the other hand, there's the clinical side of it. And so those who are clinically trained, they are therapists. They've gone through all the clinical training and mental health to become certified and licensed to be a, a therapist that provides psychotherapy. And so there are people like myself who have training in sports psychology consultation, but I've also been clinically trained meaning that I'm able as uh, on this side of it to provide psychotherapy to an athlete who may need that, where it's not necessarily just that they're having a hard time, let's say, hitting a foul shot or uh, a tennis serve in, in tough moments, but there's, there's something deeper going on. It could be that if they're struggling in their sport, it could be a symptom of a larger challenge that they're facing. And so there could be, you know, anxiety, there could be trauma, relationship issues, there could be deeper self-esteem stuff going on that really is kind of manifesting not only in sport, but other areas of their life as well. You know, the sport is just one area where you're seeing it. So that's a bit of a process. Sometimes people may not realize as athletes that there's something more going on but they may get referred for consultation, but it turns out they really need more intensive therapy to really help them to get over different challenges that they're facing to enhance their life on a, on a deeper, more holistic level. I think that's so interesting and so important to differentiate. It's, it's actually funny because it kind of sounds like the differences between my work and your work, right? I'm more on like the consultation side of things where emotion comes up, but that's not my primary role. Whereas yours is really diving deeper into the emotional side of things. And there's a place for both of them. And I think there's a place for them to work together too, which is really cool and really nice. But the other side of it too, I think, especially on the clinical side, there's probably more stigma around athletes who are struggling with their mental health and seeking the support that they need. And, you know, I've been listening to many podcasts and reading some great books lately that talk about the stigma in mental health in general, that oftentimes when we're struggling, it's hard to admit it. Therefore, it's hard for us to get the help and support that we need. There's not a lot of like proactive, hey, this is going to be a difficult time. Let's work together to figure out how to get through it versus waiting until something goes wrong to gain the support that you need. So I think I know that you have some clients that you've worked with who have been proactive, right? And saying, we're going to be facing a lot of challenges, especially for youth athletes who are performing at a really high level. They can anticipate, their parents have anticipated that this is going to be a lot for them to manage and juggle. So proactively, they're seeking out your support. But I, I imagine that, again, like I was saying, the stigma behind a professional athlete who, again, might be thinking, I should be able to do this. I'm performing at such a high level. I can't actually get support because then it makes me look weak or it makes me look like I'm not enough or 
how do I deserve this position, this spot, the salary, whatever. So, you know, I really appreciate, you know, like the Kevin Loves and, and many others in the world who are talking about mental health and how important it is. I think about this all the time. I'm like, I can't imagine performing at such a high level on TV in front of millions of fans. Whatever you do great gets applauded. If you do anything even remotely wrong, <laughs> it gets knocked down. I get nervous enough providing this podcast to folks because everybody has different perspectives, experiences, and training. So I can only imagine being at the super high level, what that's like. So tell me a little bit more about some of these higher performing people in sports and athletics that would benefit from seeking out a sports psychologist. Well, you got to think about the context of being an athlete where, you know, a lot of times when you're being coached, you're being coached to push through the hard times, you're getting pushed through the pain, pushed through the mental challenges to perform, you know, when times get tough, that's when you really put the pedal to the metal. And so it could in some ways be misinterpreted to suggest that you can never be vulnerable. You can never be human to talk about these things. You always have to push, push, push. And I've experienced that with plenty of athletes, you know, where finally they let their guard down and like, wait a minute, I can talk about these things. I can let out this emotion in a very cathartic way and to realize the patterns that they get into because everybody's got patterns. You know, we have patterns from a long time ago. They develop and they continue, they get reinforced and patterns of our mind, patterns of our emotions, patterns of our relationships. And that all goes into our mental health, essentially, you know, mental health in a lot of ways is being human. I tell my patients this all the time. People are like, oh, I feel, you know, I feel bad that I have mental health issues. Well, look, your mental health issues, call it what you want to call it. It's called being human and having challenges that come with the existential challenges and realities of being human. And I tell people, look, you are human. And that's a good thing because there's nothing more powerful than feeling understood for who you are on a deep level. And that's what therapy is. My job is to truly just understand the person. And it takes time. It takes, you know, building a relationship to trust that comes with that. But Everybody really deep down wants to feel understood holistically, not just for, oh, I'm a great athlete. I hit the game winning shot. Isn't that great? People don't truly want to be known for that as much as they say that they want to be famous and admired by that's I got to tell you, that's really not what people deep down really want. In my opinion, you know, people can disagree with me about this, but that's really a side effect of performing at a high level. And, you know, pursuing your purpose, that's a side effect. You know, that's a cherry on top. But deep down, people want to feel understood. They want deep relationships. They want meaning. They want purpose. There's a, a brilliant new book that was published recently by Dr. Gabor Mate and his son who wrote it together. And it's called The Myth of Normal. And it talks a lot about that, that oftentimes our, our physical health is deeply related and connected to our psychological health and, and thinking about what is normal. Normal is our own personal experiences that we're navigating through every day. And I'm so grateful for people who confide in people like you and other great therapists and people like myself to say, hey, look, there's something that doesn't really feel like it's working the way it could. Let's figure this out together. <laughs> and from an athletic sport perspective, I think this is enormous because as skilled as you can be, there can be one 
component part of our environment, of our emotionality, of our experience that can throw things off. And we could either focus in on how it didn't work, or we can think about how we can work to improve it or understand the wisdom in that moment that might have arisen from whatever happened. So I'm grateful for that process. I'm grateful for people who are here listening to us, even acknowledging that there's a process that happens like this. And, you know, just thinking about these different themes that you hear from the athletes you work with, are there any in particular that most frequently come up? Themes in terms of, you know, what's getting in the way of their performance or their experience? Yeah, I guess on either end of the spectrum, things that either get in their way or things that tend to be very helpful and supportive for them. Yeah. So this really kind of gets into more of that consultation aspect of, you know, just kind of analyzing what is it that helps them perform better or impairs their performance and their experience. So one of the things that tends to happen a lot in athletics when, you know, you step onto the court or the field, wherever you are, the gym is at the end of the day, athletes basically want to win, right? They want to perform well enough in order to win. They want to get better and they want to win. Those tend to be the two things I think a lot of athletes focus on. They would improve and they want to win. Those are outcomes, improving and winning. Those are outcomes. They are things that happen in the future, right? We can experience them in the moment, but when you think about improving and winning, those are outcomes that happen in the future. And so these are abstract ideas. And so what happens is when we focus too much on these outcomes, something we can't tangibly focus on in the present because they happen in the future, what happens is that we lose touch with the present moment. And there's a lot of literature that's been going on in sports psychology about the importance of being mindfully present in the moment and how important that is to performance. There's a ton of research that suggests it's really one of the biggest things in terms of the mentality that goes into sport. And so you got to empathize with athletes, right? They want to win. We play to win the game, Herm Edwards said a long time ago. And so it's really important that I help athletes to slow down and to focus not on these outcomes so much. Yes, it's important. Focus on the outcomes. It gives you motivation. It gives you purpose. It gives you drive, right? But at the end of the day, when you're performing, you want to get back to the basics of focusing on the present. And I can go into a lot of examples about, you know, what happens if you don't do that versus when you do. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what are the technical aspects that an athlete might want to focus in on, like little techniques of how to execute skills or things that they need to do to continue to enhance their performance? Well, you definitely want to get in touch with your mindset. You know, what are the thoughts that go through your mind? What do you focus on? What do you get distracted by? You know, when you make a, a poor play or if you make a mistake, whatever you want to call it, where does your mind go? Do you look to the coach? Do you look to, you know, whoever's watching you? and kind of worry about what they're thinking. Is your identity wrapped up in that? Or all of a sudden you're worrying, oh my God, they're going to think I'm a bad player. I'm not proving myself. They're going to judge me off of that. These are some examples, right? So you really want to get in touch with the thought process that happens. And it's hard to do that in the moment. You know, it's not like you can be out there on the field or the court or the gym and just gain all this awareness about yourself while you're actually trying to perform. That's why we pull back, we have a meeting, we try to meet once a week, whatever it is, and slow things down and just reflect. There's a reservoir of experiences that athletes come with me. And my job is to just, hey, let's dive into that reservoir and learn about, you know, your experience. There's so much to talk about. Tell me what goes through your mind this situation in that situation. What do you focus on? Why, why do you think that happens? What makes that so important to you? Does your mind start to create doubt? Do you start to think about what you don't want to do versus what you do want to do? Do you fix it on your opponent? 
Do you get defensive versus assertive? You know, are you losing your clarity because you're getting confused? All these ideas, thought processes. It's my job to slow down to dive into that reservoir and learn from their experience. It's so interesting. So much of what you're saying just overlaps with the type of work that I do in executive function coaching, right? And thinking about how we actually pull people away, kind of thinking about how we kind of pull back the layers of the onion to try to get at the core of what's really happening and what's impacting each individual across different experiences of performance or practice. And it's so interesting to think because a lot of my research and background through graduate school and otherwise was really in motivation and resilience and thinking about these developmental and cognitive skills that go into learning and being able to learn from a mistake, learn from an error, not take a failure as a point of defeat, but really as a point of or an opportunity to learn from it. So how do you shift the mindset of an athlete, again, that is really just focused on that goal and that outcome to think about all those things? I got to say, it's hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's not easy. It's, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. How many greatest of all time are there? There's only, you know, so many. And there's a reason for that. It, it's really hard and it's not easy, but you got to find what works for you. You know, Evan Longoria, he is a baseball player and he talked openly about his mental process and working with the sports psychologist and learning, you know, what works for him. And he, and he put it very clearly. He said, you know, this works for me. I figured it out and I, I commit to it. You just got to be consistent with it. And Novak Djokovic, I believe that after one of his big tournaments, he was being interviewed uh, or at least a press conference. And U.S. Open 2021, I think, right? Uh, I'm not sure what it was. It might have been the, the Australian Open, but, uh, okay. you know, he, he was just talking about your mental process is not guaranteed to work all the time, but it gives you the best chance to succeed over the long run. And he alluded to the fact that there's no one size fits all process that works for everybody. It's really trial and error. But you ask, you know, how does this work? You got to find what works for the person and you got to have the courage to try things out. You got to have the courage to say, hey, I'm going to give this mentality a try. I'm going to step into this difficult situation. I'm going to focus more on the process. I'm going to, you know, get my mind in a more positive mindset. I'm going to get loose and relax before I take that serve. Whatever it is, you know, you got to do to regroup and, and kind of get your mental process. But you got to have a process. You know, you can't just wing it. Ken Revisa in his book, Heads Up Baseball, talked about, you know, if you just wing it, you're going to be on a roller coaster. You're going to go up and down. Your confidence is just going to go up and down because you don't really have something to, you know, anchor you. And so my job is to develop that process. It could take time. And, you know, sometimes we'll visualize the, you know, the athlete kind of utilizing their process in tough moments and so forth to, to do that and, you know, create situations where they can practice it. But, you got to practice it. You know, you got to be willing and have the courage to step into situations and, and practice it and, and prioritize it. Like I tell my athletes, look, your mental process is the top priority. What people think about you, the wins, the losses, you cannot prioritize that. You can't. Like your mental process has to be number one on top. That's all you got to care about at the end of the day. And you'll sleep easy if you can do that. Obviously, with the physical and the technical aspects of things coming into the line as well. But it's like another Alexicism that I always say is we can't always predict what's going to happen, but we could always prepare. That's one thing we have control around. And really thinking about the mental preparation in terms of the physical preparation, I think is so important. 
and it goes hand in hand, you know, not just physical, like doing your, your workouts and drills, but really thinking about, are you taking care of your well-being? And I consider mental health as a huge part of well-being. Are you actually giving yourself some of that time and space to be in what neuroscientists call the diffuse mode of thinking where you're not overly focused, you give yourself some time and space to kind of like relax into it and let it open up and be free. And again, like Wayne Gretzky was saying, sometimes that's when the creativity flows where you get to have like your little unique aspects of things. And I know there's tons of athletes who have talked about that openly too, when they are overly focused on something is usually when they're able to just be and let it go and let it loose and let it rip. Yeah, particularly when they're over-focused on themselves, on kind of that self-consciousness when they have an outward focus. And there's a lot of research supporting this. Being outwardly focused on what they're doing, it, it definitely helps a lot with their performance. I know you've worked with athletes who are both individual athletes, whether they're golfers, tennis players, gymnasts, those who have like their one role as themselves that they're putting forward into their sport versus those who work as a part of a team. You know, you mentioned a couple of baseball players before, whereas I kind of see that more as an individual sport, even though it's a team sport. Like I would imagine though that a mentality going into an individual sport versus a team sport might be a little bit different in the way you prepare mentally for that work. Sure. Well, there's certainly a lot of different dynamics that take place, you know, team cohesion, you know, you got to worry about the relationships they have with your teammates and, and so forth. So yeah, there's different aspects for sure. But again, it, you know, it just depends on what works for them. And I got to tell you, people have to just be honest about their experience, right? If you got a teammate and you're harboring a lot of anger or jealousy towards them, which is, you know, human, you got to be honest about that because if that's affecting you and you're not really talking about it, it's not going to get better, right? And that's why there's, you know, we want to be careful about just giving band-aids and just giving, you know, surface level advice to someone. What we really want is for people to be honest and open up about, you know, what emotions are they having, you know, different emotions that are there that, you know, are not talked about. Athletes don't necessarily talk about their emotions, but if, if they do, you know, they're there. I'd imagine from a clinical perspective too, if you ever had difficulty in relationships, either familiar relationships or other relationships that have come up in your life, it, it might actually make it difficult to navigate different relationships on a team as well. And it might be difficult to understand why and how that might be coming up that engaging in some kind of clinical work with a sports psychologist could actually be helpful to make those connections to be able to tease things apart. Have you ever worked with anybody who's recognized something like that in themselves that you're able to target something that was a deeper issue that was also impacting their role on a team? Yeah, I mean, you know, people's personalities certainly come out on a team and your personality could drive with different people or it could really create friction. And that's, you know, part of life that's anybody has experienced that it's impossible to just get along easily with everybody in life. Everybody's so different. Can you dive in a little bit more and talk about what it's like being an individual sport athlete? I happen to be a huge tennis fan, as I know you are, too. And I'm just in awe of how difficult it must be to show up every day and build your own form of self-discipline, your own repertoire and routine. And obviously there's a lot of great people and teams behind each individual athlete that you see step onto the court. But 
you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to just be out there and in your own head every day and then be so polite too. They're, those athletes are always so polite and gracious for every opportunity. I, I love listening to their uh, interviews at the end of matches also, but I, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of perspective of an individual athlete for athletes who are out there, coaches or you know other sports psychologists who might encounter an individual athlete too. Well, it's definitely easy to get, you know, up in your head about what's happening when you're by yourself and the spotlight's on you. You know, everybody's focusing on you because there's nobody else to look at, you know, and you can't go to the bench, right? It's not like you're going to get a timeout and go sit on the bench and just wait, you know, while people are out there playing, you know, you're there. It's it. You might get a little break here and there, but it's all you. So, you know, only they really know what that pressure feels like. And so you got to really analyze what that experience is like with the athlete and figure that out because it's difficult and how to kind of harness a mindset that really works for them, whether that's you know, compartmentalizing it where, you know, you kind of just block it out where, you know, you're not focusing on what other people are you know, paying attention to you and you really kind of get into your mindset of your process and focusing on that. Controlling the controllables is a big part of sports psychology. You know, you look at Rafael Nadal, he's got his whole, you know, all of his rituals. Some would say it's a little obsessive, but, you know, it works for him. But he just keeps him in line and that's all he cares about. You know, I'm pretty sure he's not thinking about something else going on, you know, in the stands when he's got his process going because that works for him. You know, it, it's difficult. You know, we, we have to validate that. You know, it's, it's so easy for people in the media or friends or family or spectators to criticize athletes and just easily just, you know, you know, talk down on them. But we don't really know what it's like to be them. And there's a reason the media talks, you know, criticizes athletes. That's their job, you know, to give, you know, an analysis of what's going on. But at the end of the day, it's really nice to have an, a, an opportunity to have a conversation where it's just genuine, raw, authentic, where they can just talk really about what it's like. It's, there's no filter. There's not that politeness either that you talked about. You know, they're, they're able to just be real. And it's hard to be like that when you're in the spotlight. And so it's really good to have that space and that to feel safe and secure that you can really open up in a private setting like that. I'm going to put you on the spot a little because, you know, I work with a lot of youth athletes, student athletes across, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, college level. And as an educator, as a coach in their lives, I'm often coaching their teachers and their parents on how to help balance and support them through both aspects of their life, both the academic and the sports side of things. And I'm wondering if you could share a couple tips or ideas that might be helpful for the caregivers, the coaches, the support team around these athletes, whether you're a youth athlete or a professional athlete, that might be helpful for them to hear from a sports psychologist. I think you alluded to this a little bit before, but coaching is teaching. John Wooden is one of the arguably one of the best coaches ever, and he was actually a teacher first, coach second. And he talked about that, how teaching really helped him to understand how to coach better. Coaching is very hard. Think about being a teacher. It, I think it's really hard to be a teacher, right? Especially with young kids, right? You know, there's so many different things going on all at once. You got to try to, you know, teach to not to the class, just to the class. You got to teach to each individual in some ways to make sure that everybody's, you know, on the same page. Everybody's kind of getting what they need. You figure out, you know, who's confused about this. Do I have to teach a little bit different? It's it is a lot of preparation, a lot of work. And so to the coaches out there, 
you know, you got to validate for that, that for yourself. It, it's not easy. And, you know, we all have our impulses and our, you know, our comfort zones or uh, some things that we fall back onto to, to coach, you know, whether that's, you know, giving that motivational rah-rah speech to kind of, you know, pump up your, your players or, you know, finding ways to be hard on a player that you feel like needs to, you know, have a, a bit of a wake up call or something like that. But at the end of the day, I think it's good to remember, you know, your, your teachers, you're trying to help facilitate learning and learning and motivation to learn. Because if your athletes can be motivated to learn and to really get into the zone of really enjoying intrinsically that experience of doing a drill and feeling present with it, feeling like it's the first time they've done it or finding a little bit of a new way to do it, learning a little bit of a tweak, something they didn't realize before or paying attention to what their teammates doing that helps them to understand their role a little bit better. There is so much that I find athletes don't realize about what's happening in their sport for them or for the team or for their coach. And so, you know, kind of get, enlighten the, the players a bit about the process that goes into coaching and about where your players are, both individually and collectively, and where you want them to be. But really try to clarify what that process is and, and get creative and try to help them have conversations. You know, if someone needs to be pulled aside to have a conversation, maybe they're acting up or maybe they're struggling. Maybe they just need a conversation because they're confused or they're, you know, they, they're, they're pretending like they know more than they do or, you know, they're pretending like they're not nervous or, or they're having an issue with someone, you know, just have conversations that might be very useful. And, you know, if you want it, to, it's not easy to do and it could be challenging, but if you can kind of develop that as your repertoire, that's good. And, you know, find different ways to reach your athletes. There's different ways. And I think John Wooden said, you're not going to, you're not going to like all your players the same and that's okay. You know, everybody's got different personalities. Someone might rub you the wrong way and stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, he, John Wooden talked about loving everyone equally. And I think what he meant by that is I'm going to respect and show up for everybody equally. And that might take, you know, a little bit of a different approach for different people. That doesn't mean that you have necessarily different expectations or standards or, you know, consequences for different people. You may want to keep that consistent if that's your philosophy. But in terms of teaching, people might need different things to, to really learn and to develop their craft. And maybe there's a UDL book in here somewhere, Jared, because I think if we could proactively plan to be able to meet people's needs and support them for where they're at and, and figure out the best way to get what they need, I think that so much is possible. So from even a coaching perspective, I think it's really important, like you said, to recognize that everybody might need something a little bit different, especially collegiate athletes who might be coming from different teams around the country that are all coming together to formulate a new team. I think there's a lot of nuance there and a lot of teaching and instructing and saying, hey, look, this is how things are run here. Let's make sure that we're all driving together before we get to a different point, because you might have these really high performing athletes who might just have a different context than where they're coming from. And it might be difficult to help them get familiar and comfortable. And that's an important part of the process to be able to get them in line with things. Definitely. And, and also just remember that, you know, you don't know what's going on in the personal lives of the athletes, just like a teacher doesn't really know what's going on in the personal lives of their students. And so, you know, you want to in some ways give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe there's something going on. You, you may not want to get involved in that because, 
you know, it might be kind of cross a boundary about your relationship with them. Maybe you do, maybe you have that kind of mentorship relationship or kind of support them in, in some way or refer them to get the support they may need. But people have stories, people got experiences. You know, when I talk to patients and they're like, I can't believe what I'm going through. I'm so ashamed by these mental health challenges or this trauma. And I say to them, you don't know what people go through because they don't talk about it. You think you're alone in this? Go talk to a million people out there and you'll hear a million different stories about what people go through on a daily basis or at some segment of their life. And so we got to we got to normalize that and validate that life is really hard at different points in time for different people, for different reasons, to different extents. But life is hard and people got stories and people have things that could really, you know, they can take with them onto the court, into the gym, onto the field and into their team. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I think that's such an important point that, you know, every behavior often does tell a story. And sometimes if we get curious and we are able to extend, you know, that olive branch of support, whether it's from ourselves or sending out a referral to get some additional support from a sports psychologist or a psychologist or, you know, thinking about what's going to be most helpful is so important. And it's so great that there's individuals like yourself and a lot of your colleagues who have the training to both understand the athletic and performance side of the psychological process and also the clinical side of things. So I think it's really helpful and really important. And kind of on a, a last note, I'm, I'm curious about maybe to speak to some of the athletes that are out there who might be listening to learn a little bit more about sports psychology. Is there a defining aspect that makes a big difference in how well somebody performs? advice from a sports psychologist to athletes. Yeah, so this fits into the sports psychology consultation, mental skills area. A lot of research, like I said, has been focused on mindfulness. A couple tips here around what mindfulness could look like in sports is it's a different way of relating to your thoughts and feelings where, you know, you have a thought that goes through your mind like, oh, I better not mess this up. I'm so bad at this. Uh, I hate the fact that I can't do this or I'm terrible. And instead of trying to change that thought or think a lot about it or getting kind of lost in that thought pattern, mindfulness teaches the athlete that, hey, we don't have time for that. Allow yourself to experience the thought. Don't fight against it. Don't freak out that you're having negative thoughts. But just treat it like a passing thing that's going through your mind, okay? Like people get negative thoughts all the time. Like you, you pay attention to your thought patterns. You have tons of negative thoughts that pass your your, your mind in a, on a daily basis. You're just not noticing it. And so mindfulness teaches the athlete, just notice that it's there and just let it pass by and refocus on what you're doing and kind of get back to your process. It's not about fighting against the thought. It's not about, you know, getting distracted by it or, you know, getting upset or overwhelmed that you're having negative thoughts because you might think to yourself, oh God, I'm having negative thoughts. This is going to ruin everything. You know, it's going to mess me up. It's getting, in, it's getting in the way of my flow, my mojo. But mindfulness is like, okay, got it. Noticing it. Take a second, let it pass and refocus on what I'm doing. Same thing for emotions. We get anxious, we get angry, we get, you know, embarrassed. We notice the feeling, okay, it's normal to feel this, it's, it's understandable. People feel these emotions all the time. Just accept it, let it be there. Just kind of ride it out. Don't fight against it. Don't freak out that you're having feelings or emotions. And just you know, slowly take a deep breath and, and refocus on what you're doing and get back into your process that we talked about. That's you know a big part of mindfulness training in, in sports psychology. It's so similar to what I say and 
coach the individuals I work with around too, that I always say your focus will go wherever your attention is. If you're paying attention to the things that are negative or the barriers that are getting in your way, that's what you're going to focus on. Is that actually going to help move you forward or is that going to keep you stuck or impede whatever it is that you're trying to do? And I think it really does mess with motivation and of course, performance on so many levels. And there's so much for us to talk about here. And I know we will have performers, some athletes and others on the show as our seasons go by to talk more about their personal experience. And I also know that there's way more that we can talk about in terms of sports psychology and performance that will come up over time as well. But I think this is a great start to open up the conversation about what is sports psychology. And as more and more people are starting to realize that it's a resource, I really do hope that individuals will seek out the support that they need, whether it is from reading a book or having a consultant or seeking help through a sports psychologist to dive a little bit deeper, as you were mentioning, like you do in the work that you do with your clients. I, you know, again, I'm I'm just so grateful for the fact that this is out there and this is something that people can seek support in. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for starting this conversation. And for you athletes, coaches, and anyone in the sports field out there, just know that you are seen, you are heard, you are known as amazing as you might be in your specific area of focus. We also recognize that you are human and you have a lot of emotions and things going on too. And we hope that you take care of yourself and we look forward to future episodes. And if you want to know more about sports psychology, feel free to send us some questions. Maybe we'll integrate them into future episodes and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Lex. Great talk to you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas and is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you're in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but is not intended to represent the opinions of those we work with or are affiliated with. The Reed Connected podcast is hosted by Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed, is produced by Lauren Biza, our communications and marketing coordinator is Colin Faley, and original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Read Connected podcast will be releasing a new episode every two weeks each season, so please subscribe for updates and notifications. And you can follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast and Twitter at Read Connected, R-E-I-D Connected. We're grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meantime, be curious, be open, be well. Be well.